0: Hi, welcome to Tube to Table, the podcast about helping tube fed kids become happy and healthy eaters. Every week, we will dive into the basics of tube weaning to help unravel the conflicting information families get from doctors, therapists, friends, and family. I'm Jenny, a feeding therapist, mom, and food lover. And I'm Heidi. I'm also a feeding therapist, and I love
1: sharing meals with friends and family and helping kids learn to eat. Come with us as we share practical tips and provide real-world expert advice so that parents can help their little ones start their
0: journey from feeding tube to family table. Hi, and welcome to the Tube to Table podcast. I'm Jenny, and I'm joined as always by my partner in crime, Heidi. Hi, Heidi. How are you today? Hi, Jenny. I'm doing well. How are you guys today? We're great. Thank you so much. Today's episode is nibbles and bits. And today, Heidi and I are going to talk a little bit about what foods you should choose while you're weaning your child off their feeding tube. And this is a topic that is on most people's minds if they're looking to wean their kiddo. And it's something that Heidi and I know a thing or two about because we do this work all the time and we've learned a bunch of lessons along the way. And we both have our own preferences and Mm -hmm. little tips and tricks that work. So we're going to dive in and talk a little bit about that. I think one of the things I want to
1: start with is uh, it's not always easy and intuitive. There's so many families that have called me from the grocery store Overwhelmed, just saying. I don't even know where to start.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and there's also this underlying feeling that there's a magic food, that so there's true. one food that's going to make the difference. And I, it, it's funny to watch even if families get to know each other through this process. And one family, the little girl ate a meatball the first thing and told a friend and then a friend kept saying, if only we could give her a meatball. Mm-hmm. So we gave her a meatball and that didn't work, but the food for her was a croissant. Mm-hmm. And so she started eating croissant and some other family heard about it and they kept saying, maybe we should try croissants yes. because it just feels like there's this magic food. Right. And, and you're desperate s- to help your kid. So you just and want, you,
0: yeah, you want yeah, that magic button. And you button. wanted to
1: get there. So Um, But I'm hoping what we can give instead of just a list of foods, but a list of ways to look at how your child is viewing food and a ways for you to look at foods to help you
0: make some of those choices and feel less overwhelmed by the volume of food that's out there. Yeah, let's get real. Feeding kids that don't have tubes can be complicated. So feeding a kid that you've never seen eat or who eats very little for reasons that you're trying to change (laughs) It is super complicated, mm-hmm. and so we're hopefully after today's episode, you'll have like a little bit of an expanded um, idea about where to begin, and then when things do get started, how to keep going and and expand your uh, your options and your children's. So um, one thing that we often do is we often start with foods that allow children to have the maximum autonomy so that they can be as independent as, as possible. The reason for that is when you're in an environment that may be a little nervous, new, or scary, depending on the, your child's level of aversion or fear or kind of confusion around food, if you're starting with something that they feel a little bit more in control of, it follows that they're more likely to succeed with that thing. And mm-hmm. so because of that autonomy and the importance of autonomy, we tend to often start with finger foods or foods that kids can hold or feed themselves easily. A quick I note. Will say, oh, yeah, go ahead.
1: No, sorry. I was just thinking that by that we don't mean foods that they can chew and swallow. People often would think independence as purees because they can't chew yet. So true. And so Purees are swallow like quickly swallowable, but what we mean isn't like little tiny finger foods. We mean big things that are easily pick upable, even if they're not going to eat, so even true. if nothing's going
0: to get swallowed. yeah Sorry, Jenny, is that where you were going? That is that? where Go ahead. that. Well, that's an extra thought that I really am glad you shared because I think um, we also are thinking about all the stuff that happens before the food gets in the mouth when we talk about autonomy, and I think in feeding therapy. But also it's normal that when we're thinking about eating, we're thinking about the kind of mechanics of it all and where the food, what the food's doing in the mouth. We miss all the important stuff that happens before the food gets to the mouth. And so I'm really glad that you pointed that out because children can be autonomous in that way with their hands. They can be autonomous in that way with a utensil or with an object that they're using to eat with. But they can also be autonomous in other ways if they're not yet physically able or they have motor impairments that are going to keep them from physically being able to self-feed themselves. Um, There's other ways of being autonomous. And so in that case, just as a quick aside, you're going to look for things like relaxed body, um, you know, a good mood (laughs) that they're feeling comfortable at the table. And then the autonomy comes in with a little slight gaze at the food that they want more of, or a look at you like I'm ready or an open mouth or a slight lean of the body. So for our kiddos that can't self-feed, the autonomy is still just important for our kids that can self-feed or at least part participate in, in um, feeding themselves. It's that it's autonomy is really important. And so the, we do the reason that we do stay away from teeny tiny little pieces is twofold. One, they're hard to pick up often. And for new eaters, they can be especially, (laughs) um, you know, tricky. You can all see a chubby little hand trying to pick up uh, Cheerios, you know, those little baby hands trying to pick up Cheerios and commercials and all of that stuff. It's a little awkward. You don't have your like fine grasp until you're later, uh, until kids are bigger. But also um, the other reason, aside from that, it's just tricky to do with little pieces is that it can be Uh, easy to lose track of in your mouth. So little tiny pieces, if a child does get it into their mouth, um, may be right for some kids. But often for kids that are a little bit averse or uneasy around food, a little piece, when you're new at it and you don't know what to do with it, with just the slightest little movement of your tongue or your lips or your mouth, can move to a place that makes you scared or uncomfortable. So that's another reason why we usually tend to do something like a big, f- a big food. So just to, let's give a couple examples. Heidi, you were just telling me about a pear. Like, didn't you just have a kid recently try a pear? Yeah, slices, uh, big slices of pear or apple,
1: pieces that they can pick up and hold. And at this point, the attempt is more important than, um, than actually getting stuff in your mouth. So mm-hmm. I think of big chunks of bagel or... Um, even big pieces of, of meat that they're not going to get pieces off of something that they can pick up and hold and put in their mouth and pull back out without stuff staying in there accidentally. Um, so fruits and vegetables helpful.
0: tend to be a direction I go a lot. Yes, yeah. they are. And bread and starches like a big, mm-hmm. um, you know, piece of toast with a little smear of something on it or without, or a pretzel or something. That's a little a, a, a shortbread cookie. That's going to dissolve easily, but not right away. So um, some of you that are familiar with your other kids or, or just from, from your own knowledge, there is an approach to feeding kids called baby-led weaning, which we like a lot, but we're not pro-baby-led weaning or traditional um, transitioning to kind of the purees from the bottle or breast. Either one's fine with us if things are going well, when things aren't going well. We just tend to lean more in that kind of what is considered baby-led weaning. And in baby-led weaning, you skip purees and you go straight to bigger chunks of food that you can manage to hold and mouth. And so um, we can link to some resources for baby-led weaning foods. But I personally um, often advise people to go to places like Pinterest and ta- and, and just really type in baby-led weaning um food list or something like that and you can find a ton of really great ideas the other thing that we do a lot to get people thinking about food in a different way is think about what you want for dinner maybe you're not having it but think about what you would want for dinner and then most people will say to me well there's no kid food there so if you want pasta for dinner maybe choosing a a bigger piece of pasta like a, a long fat noodle that somebody can hold on to or a piece of, like a large piece of rigatoni or something like that that can be cooked down and held. So or a lot bread of people, stick. yeah, breadstick. And um, those, those foods, that expands your view of foods a lot. I, Heidi was just talking to me this morning a little bit about how parents often get stuck thinking about kid foods because they're marketed to so strongly. What was your example? I can't remember. That
1: years past everybody had Cheerios yes. all the time. Everybody who went everybody had, had went anywhere had Cheerios. And now everybody has veggie sticks. That's so true. Those yeah. inflate those little puffy
0: veggie Strings. straws. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it goes, it comes and goes in waves. But so when you're stuck in a rut, and believe me, all of us get stuck in a rut when we're feeding our kids. I just love that simple question. Like, what would you like to have for dinner tonight? And mm-hmm. and um, you know, even if it is a you know a piece of chicken or something and your kid hasn't had anything by mouth you might be thinking there's no way they can do that no but they might be able to hold the bone and taste that flavor and have some experience with you that makes them more likely to be able to try something in the future and get used to engaging with food I think that gives us actually
1: probably our biggest trick and tool in terms of choosing foods is having parents eat what they eat and have their children sit with them in a place where they can try and reach for their parents' foods because sometimes i cannot see a pattern sometimes i can there's patterns emerge but in the beginning we don't know why they're choosing those foods probably the biggest reason especially for the the kids you know two and under even three and under is the plain reason that it's on their parents plate mm-hmm. but sometimes it's the color in fact, often I think it's the color. Colors are very motivating to kids. So um, colors, shapes, sometimes it's novelty, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's familiarity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's lots of different ways and reasons why kids choose foods, but until we present them with a wider variety than applesauce, veggie straws, and pudding, and goldfish, because that's what's available in feeding therapy, until we can expand past that that um, palate, that array of choices we're not going to be able to see the patterns that That the child has yeah Mm that there's your
0: natural patterns of preference that we all have that every kid has even though even if you can't see it because of the tube and I think it's a really great um mention Heidi because when you have a tube fed kid we realized from a logistical standpoint it may not always be the easiest thing to do to have all of your meals together in front of your kid that's using a tube especially if they're afraid of food or averse to food, it may be something that kind of drifts away, those those meals where your child gets to see you. And just like with all of our kids that we work with that have feeding challenges, but especially for tube-fed kids, you don't have to pressure yourself to make sure your child and your family are at the table together every single meal of the day. But making sure that your child gets to see people eating in a stress-free, comfortable way, things that they, the person that's eating them, enjoys... Uh, versus putting on a show for a child or trying Mm -hmm. to trick them into eating or convince them or pressure them into eating. Just that simply being together and watching someone that they love and trust eat is hugely valuable and doesn't always happen. So that could be a really great first step. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you, it might also make you start thinking about what's on my plate that I could prepare slightly differently in order to maybe present it to my kid at some point because they seem to be watching me a lot. Mm-hmm. And then I
1: remember years ago, I had a kiddo who was, he was a little bit older. He didn't have a tube, but he was extremely picky, extremely anxious and cautious. And finally, we just took a break from feeding therapy because the this was before I understood the impact of pressure, but mom and I figured it out for him that it was too hard. And then He went to a Japanese steakhouse where they chopped up the food in a fancy and fun way and picked up two or three different foods that day because it was presented in a fun way with no pressure for him to eat because they'd given up Mm -hmm. on
0: making him eat and just were following his lead, I, I think. But interest is huge. It is really huge. And along the lines of interest, another really important concept that we talk to all of our clients about is thinking about the foods that they've been exposed to unsuccessfully. So for most of our kids, those tend to be f- sweeter things like breast milk or formula or sweet purees. And that p- flavor profile in our experience is one of the latter ones to come back with. There are a few kids that go straight for sweets, but for the majority of the time, parents are always shocked that their kids are going for things like you know, guacamole or something that's really strong. flavor. Pickles, exactly, (laughs) pickles. And we have had a kid or two dive into our coffee, which we try to discourage unless it's decaf. But just because there's no threat there, and it's so different, and it doesn't feel like the same thing, that cause them to learn to be confused around food. So whatever your child has had enough of, <laughs> whether it be actually going in their mouth or just you tried and tried and tried or the therapist tried and tried and tried, think about that food and then think about the flip side of it. So if it's a goldfish cracker, I don't know, maybe a soft pear is the opposite of that. Those things are pretty mm-hmm. different in flavor and taste and shape and the way that you eat them. And so um, just letting the acknowledging and honoring the fact that they've had a negative experience with other foods or, or a lack of understanding around those foods that they've, that they've tried be a guide for you instead of having it be a barrier because they didn't eat those things, have it be an inspiration to help you think of foods that might be, you know, at least in several ways different.
1: And I think that, I think that's such a great point, Jenny. And I think really just letting it guide you instead of, um, letting it be a stumbling block. And I think the other thing is not getting too caught up in what is kid food mm-hmm. and what is fun or what seems fun to you. I've had a lot of parents who want to get things like Funfetti cupcakes and all these things that look like fun to them because they're multicolored or they've got little sprinkles or whatever kid-friendly things. And sometimes that can be overwhelming to our kids. So going back to that comment about inspiring about looking at your child for inspiration. If your child gets overwhelmed easily, a Funfetti cupcake is probably not going to be helpful to them because that's got so much color yeah. and texture. And yeah, there's just so much going on with that. Um, not to mention that they're extremely sweet. Um, but to remember that that your child's interest in other areas are likely not always, but can often be similar with food mm-hmm. because that's who they are and that's what they like. So if they're a simple kind of kid, then think of simple kind of, simple kind of foods and yeah. less
0: complex flavors. Yeah, that's really true. And um, this is another good point. Heidi reminded me recently about this um, because it's not something that we always think to stop and remind parents of, but it's something that we talk a lot about as therapists and what we know a lot about as therapists. But Food is food is food is food. So as you may know, for those of you who are longtime listeners, we don't believe in labeling food. What we know about labeling food is good and bad, is clean and dirty, is processed and not processed. While some of those things may be informative for you as an adult in your choices at the grocery store and in your choices for meal planning, when a child is confronted with all of those labels of food, and they are given foods that are only in one category or taught to only like one thing in one category, then what it does is it shuts off their self-regulation. So for tube fed kids, we're trying to get them to self-regulate their intake, which means adjust what they're doing to meet their body's physical need for food. And so here is a really great place to remember that this is not the time to be focused too much on the labeling of the food. So if the first food your kid reaches for is a Funfetti cupcake (laughs) or if it is um, something like a cheese, like Cheeto or something that you may not want them to be having every single day of their life, that doesn't mean that they're always going to only eat Cheetos. First, they have to enjoy food, be comfortable with it, understand that it meets their body's needs. And if the foods that do that are foods that you may be considering junk foods or less preferred foods, it doesn't matter because without that comfort and um, preference and ease around food, they can't learn to listen to their bodies. Without learning to listen to their bodies, they can't, when they do become eaters, have a broad and healthy actual diet from a nutritional standpoint. Um, And so in a way, (laughs) the Cheeto may help a child become a really healthy eater with a more expanded diet. Unlike, you know, so don't worry too much about what the food choice is, in the, especially in the beginning parts of weaning. If you want to take a look back at our pyramid that we published, that we, we put out on one of our blog um, show notes, I'm sorry, podcast show notes in the blog, um, you'll see that the time for focusing on the nutritional variety is way later. It's really mm-hmm. the tippy top of the pyramid after the child has mastered eating and left the two behind. I think one of the things I see, and I
1: think Jenny, you've probably seen this too, that the processed foods want for kids who feel a little bit unsafe. One of the nice things for them about processed foods is the consistency. Mm-hmm. A Cheeto always tastes like a Cheeto, especially if it comes out of the same colored bag. So, you know, it's not mm-hmm. a different brand. <laughs> the a cracker is always a cracker. You know, the processed foods are predictable for kids who have had uncertain experience to build on so you know what you're walking into if you if you grab a cheeto whereas if you grab an apple sometimes they're mealy sometimes they're crunchy sometimes they're sweet sometimes they're sour it's hard to tell from the outside what you're getting and Mm -hmm. so as they get more comfortable and as they get more relaxed they can step out of their need to to have that processed food do the thinking for them um and again that trust and that relationship with food has to come first before they're able to to branch out
0: yeah and and it's very common for us in this process and we're there to walk people through it so it's easier for for a child to start eating which i know most of you are just wishing would happen but once kids start eating then parents are like okay but that's not a healthy food we got to switch it up and the truth is is that we really do have to just like we do um, for kids that don't have tubes or feeding challenges give them give them a minute to settle into that skill before we try to expand their diet or add variety. And so, um, again, a a quick look at the pyramid can be helpful. That that's really, truly not only after you've helped them learn to trust food and help them learn to eat it, but then their feeding skills improve, their mouth skills improve, their ability to respond and take in enough is improved in a way that's sufficient for growth. They're enjoying mealtimes and it feels normal and it's a part of the family life that it should have been from the beginning. And then... You can start giving some thought to nutrition um, there, and of course, when in doubt, you know, uh, ask your pediatrician about stuff. But most of the time, um, they don't know as much about this part of it, this early part of it. Trust has to come first, mm-hmm. and then I had one other thought—a couple, well, I guess, two—which is I had to thought quickly about temperature and texture. Which is sometimes, it doesn't always, it's not a, one of the tricks like <laughs> the kind of handheld stuff that tends to be a really consistent, um, helpful tool to think of. But some kids are sensitive to things that happened in the past. So a lot of formulas or purees were warm or heated up or room temperature. And so for those kids, you might think a little bit more about colder foods or vice versa. If your child was offered only cold foods, you might think about warming things up a little bit. Flavor is a really important part of that. So if your child was offered sweet potato, a sweet potato wedge, and they didn't like it, if you think about it, a sweet potato when you gum it down isn't going to taste and I love it's nothing against sweet potatoes. I love sweet potatoes, but it's not, it's sweet, right? It's a, it's, it tastes sweet, and so did the formula that they were given or the baby cereal with formula in it that they were given. And so it might be helpful to put a little, you know, um, salt and garlic or something that you might do naturally with a food on it. And I, you know, we got to watch the amount of these things, but don't forget to season your foods and using foods that you would use to season and just go a little light on the salt with the tiny little ones. But those foods <laughs> with flavor Paying attention to the te- the temperature and also the texture. So if it's if it's really really runny and that's how, what reminded them of the food, you might do something like add chunks. So uh, mashed potatoes that are really really thin for a kid that's averse to liquids and purees, you could just maybe put some chunks of potato in or not mash them down quite so much. Sometimes just thinking about um, the other extremes of texture, temperature, and taste can be helpful. And then I had a quick thing, Heidi, uh, spitting out. People mm-hmm, often think mm-hmm. a food didn't work because a child spit it out. And we're here to tell you the spitting is normal. <laughs> kids learn, kids spit things out for a long time before they learn to chew and um, swallow them. Longer than we it, think. especially it's kids safety for them. This. Yes. It's
1: really empowering. I'm more likely to put something in my mouth if I know that I can take it out. Mm-hmm. If I don't like it or if I don't want it. It's just, it's a safety
0: mechanism. Yes. It's a developmentally appropriate thing for all kids to spit out their food when they're learning to eat, and that phase lasts a little longer typically for mm-hmm. kids that spit out food when they're learning to to wean off of their feeding tube. So don't be discouraged and think, oh, that didn't work. They don't like it. That's not necessarily the case.
1: But I also will say that if there's a consistent amount of gagging on a food, that maybe backing up. it Gagging is normal. Gagging is a very normal part of learning to eat. But if your child is gagging frequently on small pieces of food, that might be time to talk to a therapist to help you figure out what's going on in their mouth or to take mm-hmm. a step back and give them pieces that don't break
0: mm-hmm. for a
1: little while longer. Um, it's very common for kids on our the feeding tube who, can, who don't really need to eat yet because their needs are being met nutritionally. To mouth foods really well, but they don't need it in their tummy because they're not hungry. So gagging gets the food out. So I think it, it, it makes a difference to look at why they're doing the gagging so we're not consistently reinforcing a negative experience for them. If it's just a safety thing, they gag it to get it out and it's done and they go back to it again. Um, there's a fine line, I think. So
0: anyway, yeah, you say? I do think. And I think that the gagging is a protective response that scares most parents. <laughs> and yeah. it's, it, it's normal. It doesn't look super fun, but it is a very normal protective response. It means your child is actively trying to protect their airway, usually. Which they should. They should. <laughs> we need that. And so if it's happening in a way that makes you concerned for their safety, like Heidi said frequently, then yes, um, you want you want to be a little cautious. If it seems to... Happen, And then they move right along and keep doing what they were doing. That's a different thing. That's very appropriate. And if you have questions, a speech therapist with swallowing experience is always a good Mm -hmm. guide. Um, And I think that was pretty much, those are the major nuggets, if you will, of things that we talk to parents about when they're thinking about food choices. Our most common advice when people are getting ready to wean their kid is open the refrigerator. Look Mm -hmm. in your pantry. Think about what you already have and what we can do with that to make it manageable or available to your kiddo. Mm
1: -hmm. And follow their lead because they know what's interesting to them.
0: Yes. On that note, we hope to see you guys or hear you guys next week. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Tube to Table podcast. Every week we're going to share our show notes at thrivewithspectrum.com. In the show notes, you can find a summary of what we discussed and links to all the resources that we mentioned. Also, you can visit us on social media. On Instagram and Facebook, we can be found at Thrive with Spectrum, and on Twitter you can find us at Thrive with SP. Please don't hesitate to reach out to us on social media and let us know if you have any input or any topics that you'd really like to see us address. We'll be back next week.